I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. In 1964, Congress, as part of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, authorized a national study of equality of educational opportunity in the United States. Two years later, in 1966, this study, conducted under the leadership of James Coleman, was released on the Friday before Fourth of July weekend in the hope that no one would pay any attention to it. But instead, the report has reverberated across the decades it's now 2016, and we are on the eve of the 50th anniversary of the release of the Coleman Report. And in recognition of the importance of this study, Education Next is devoting its spring issue to a reassessment of its significance. I'm Paul Peterson, editor of Education Next, and I have with me Eric Hanyashek of the Hoover Institution at Stanford University who has written a fascinating essay that focuses on the changes in student achievement that have occurred over the past 50 years. So, Rick, it's really great to have you uh, with me. And uh, let me ask you, first of all, uh, what did Coleman find with respect to disparities in achievement across racial groups back in 1965? Well, 1965 was an important time for educational policy because Coleman actually tested almost 600,000 students in the country and gave us a picture of what achievement looked like in different areas. In a part that's been almost overlooked in this report, he reported the gaping differences in achievement between blacks and whites across the country. Just how large were they? Well, one way to put it is that the average twelfth um, grader in a black twelfth grader in the rural South was achieving at essentially the level of a seventh grade white in the nor urban Northeast. But if we break down all the regions by um, standard deviations of gaps, not a natural way to measure things, but we find that there was on average a 1.1 standard deviation difference in black and white achievement between math and reading. Well, it's so if you take the white distribution and look at the average score of a white student, where did the average black student stand relative to the average white student? The average black student in both math and reading in 1965 was at the 13th percentile of the United States. That means 87% of the white students scored above the average black student in 1965. Wow, that, that back in 1965, that was a very dramatic racial difference. But what's happened since? Has, has that now closed substantially? Since the Coleman Report, we've tested lots of students, and we have a national assessment of educational progress, NAEP, that gives us an indication of the size of the gaps now. So if we look at 12th graders in 2013, the most recent data that are available, we see that the average black student has moved up to the 19th percentile of the white students in math and the 22nd percentile in reading. 
So that means that in math, 81% of white students are outperforming the average black student. Precisely. In, 19, in 2013. In 2013. So there's, there's hardly any change. Well, it's a very small change in, in those terms. Um, and importantly, um, the size of these gaps has been almost unreported over time. The Coleman Report got all of its attention because it tried to explain why achievement differences existed. But the size of the gaps, which I think should have been uh, more given more attention than they were, were not reported. Well, so you, you mentioned that you looked at this by region. Were there, was there any place in the country where we can be a little bit more optimistic? Is there any place where it showed more gains than what you detect on a national level? Well, absolutely. It, it's the South that does much better. And clearly, at the time that Congress asked for this report, they were out to show that the South was doing very badly. And so the gaps are much larger in the South than they are in all the other regions of the country in 1965. And by 2013, the gaps have closed substantially in the South so that they're now essentially in line with all the other regions. So we still have a huge gap, but the gap is more uniform across the four regions of the country, North, East, West, South, Midwest, than it was back in 1965 when it was a Southern story more than any other story. Precisely. Now it's a national story that we have these uh, very large gaps that are only very, very slowly closing. Well, so what, how do you project forward? What, where do you think we're going? Uh, is are things going to get better in the next 50 years? What's, what's well, your we, projection? If we took the simple uh, improvements between 1965 and 2013 and projected out into the future at the same rate, it would take almost two and a half centuries to close the achievement gap in math between blacks and whites. So the 25 years of closing achievement gaps that we've talked about for higher education just are unrealistic when we put them in terms of what we're seeing in terms of 12th grade performance. Well, that means we got to look at what are the causes of these gaps. And uh, Coleman did address that issue to some extent. Uh, and he placed a lot of weight on the family. He sort of said, you know, the biggest factor affecting student performance are the characteristics of the family from which the student comes. And he didn't see that schools made that much of a difference. So is that conclusion or that suggestion in the Coleman report held up? Has it stood the test of time? Well, it, as I mentioned before, the thing that got all the attention was the attempt of Coleman and his co-authors to explain why achievement was what it was every place. And they had a very flawed methodology, but they did conclude that parents were very important in families, which Nobody disputed at that time, and nobody disputes t until today. That is held up. Parents are very important. The part that got larger attention was that he, by his methodology, found that schools had very little to do with the ach achievement of students. This 
in fact, is a fairly flawed uh, part of the study, and that has not held up in the in the sense that um, schools cannot make a difference. Well, I think most people now think he used a pretty old-fashioned methodology that's uh, not generally accepted uh, by today's scholars. Uh, so, um, do we have, though, with the new kind of research out there, any reason to believe that schools have the capacity to make more progress over the next 50 years than were made over the past 50 years? I think we now know that they have the capacity, whether we have the will to uh, mobilize that capacity is another matter. What, what Coleman's report did was use a bad methodology, as you point out, and it also had very bad measures of the characteristics of schools that were important. He did not have good measures of how much variation there was in the effectiveness of teachers, which is the, the big thing that's left out of his report. So you, you're suggesting then that the most important thing we can do to do something about this is to improve the quality of our teaching force. Absolutely. I mean, in, just as a hint in some subsequent work that I did, um, in all black urban schools in Gary, Indiana, um, the difference between the best teachers and the worst teachers was one full year of learning each academic year, so that the best teachers got a year and a half worth of learning gains, the worst teachers got half a year of learning gains, and so that in a single year, depending upon what classroom a student was assigned to, you could have a difference of one full year of learning at the end. Now that's enough to close the kinds of gaps we see today within some reasonable period of time, within the lifetime, essentially, of students currently in school. Well, of course, this gap could be persisting, but every student could be getting a lot better. So if white students are learning a lot more than they did 50 years ago, and black students are learning a lot more than they did 50 years ago, then is this such a dreadful situation that you're describing? Well, that's, that's a very good point. And um, if you look at, as I do in this article, the changes in absolute performance over time of U.S. students, 17-year-olds today have essentially exactly the same achievement levels as they did in 1970, which is the first uh, year in which we can get the longitudinal information from NAEP. Um, and that is, is the case even though we have quadrupled the spending per pupil in real terms over that same time period. Thank you very much, Rick. That was a great conversation. I've been speaking with Eric Hanyashek, professor at Stanford University and a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast, released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org.